0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Shapes of Stories, a podcast with me, Lawrence Prestige, as your host. Stories come in all shapes and sizes, whether it be from our favourite books, our life experiences, or the day-to-day challenges and issues we face in the world today. Yeah, I had a really fun time talking to our to our guests on this episode of The Shapes of Stories. It's um, Nikki Campbell. And uh, I guess, you know, Nikki Campbell's been around, around for a while, hasn't he? I couldn't believe, actually. I, I found out this after we, I spoke to him that he's 60 years old. How incredible is he looking for sixty? Um, but anyway, I, it was really great to talk to Nicky to find out more about his um, new book, "One of the Family," which is all about his dog Maxwell. And being a dog lover myself, I've got my rescue pup Robin um, that I, did, that I um, adopted from Romania. Uh, it was really great talking to, to Nicky about his um, Nikki about his new books, and uh, yeah, we you know covered all sorts of things. We talked about our mental health, um, you know how it's been the last sort of. Yeah, this uh, COVID world, and um, you know, talk about long lost family as well, which he's obviously part of that program. That's uh, you know, an emotional ride every episode that you watch. Um, so yeah, really excited to share you um, share with you this episode of me talking to Nikki Campbell. And um, yeah, before we get into that, I just want to um, uh, ask politely if anyone out there was um, would like to donate any money um, to support the show. That'd be Great. I always ask. You know, I always hate asking for money, um, but you know, it really keeps us ticking along nicely. And um, anything you can contribute um, for us to bring you more shows more regularly, um, you know, is uh, invaluable. It's it's um, yeah, it means a lot. So, whatever you can afford um, to support the show, please do so. Um, you can do that in the description boxes for the podcast and be sure to follow us on our social media pages as well you could follow us at shapes of stories on twitter you could follow me on instagram under prestige books uh, you can find out about my books as well sorry you can find out about my, my my children's books um online on amazon um, under lawrence prestige and find out the children's books that i've written some new books coming your way that later this year as well uh, be sure to follow us on facebook under the shapes of stories facebook page but anyway now all that stuff's out of the way here's my chat with the wonderful Nikki campbell So, well, how have you been, first league with uh, this last year, COVID and everything?
1: Oh, fine. You know, there's some bits about it I quite like. I find that uh, I've been feeling pretty good because I've been at home with the family. So it's been from that point of view. Lots of other people's mental health has been really challenged. Uh, mine's been the opposite because because I've been at home and. um with everyone around me and my dogs as well. So, I've actually, from that point of view, I've felt it quite um, stabilizing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Have, you, have you had like your ups and downs throughout it, or has it been quite a little bit, but been it's nice
1: been trip. okay. It's been all right. Yeah. Um, I've been very busy um, because the filming that I do of Long Lost Family carries on. And I was doing the debate thing that I do, ten of those, and that was every Saturday. So I went up to Manchester for that. Doing the radio every day, launching the book and stuff, and then doing the podcast, making a podcast as well. So it's been, you know, it's been good and busy. I've been lucky from that yeah. from that point of view. So I mean, you've been writing.
0: Yeah, I've been been writing. It's been one of these things. Like lots of people say to me, I bet like it's been really great for you in terms of being locked down. I bet you're getting lots of writing done. And it, it it was a the case of that at first, but then it's been a bit difficult in terms of having having that routine of when to do it. You know, because when I was sort of had my timetable, my usual sort of normal timetable, I knew that I had a specific slot where I could get writing done. And now because of lockdown, it's kind of like you can do it whenever. I've, I've found it a bit more difficult. <laughs> but then maybe that's right yeah. What excuse.
1: was it? Cause, <laughs> why, why was that? Because what was your so what was your um. Uh,
0: uh, like routine? Well, routine, well, it would be, you know, obviously going going to schools, meetings, admin, tutoring. And I just knew that I'd have cer- certain points of the day where I had to two hours in the morning and two hours in the evening to, to write. Yeah. So now it's not really too, you know, with lockdown, it's like, well, it doesn't really matter when I get up. I can just do it writing at some point. Or it doesn't really matter how late I stay up because I can just do writing at some point. So it's kind of like I felt into, I guess, bad habits. Um but yeah, no, it's slowly picking up again now. Like after the first lockdown um, is when I started to sort of lose that commitment or discipline, I think that's the word. Mm. And you've got it as a writer, you have to, don't you? I mean, discipline, so keeping your bum on the chair is vital. Yeah.
1: Sometimes it, it just won't happen. But sometimes it does happen. Sometimes it happens like when you're on a train or something like that, I find. I can't like that. Or travelling. Um. But uh sometimes, sometimes you can think of things. You can't write stuff down, but you can think of stuff.
0: You know. Yeah. Have you you find that? Yeah. No, I find that. Yeah. Do you? How mm. do? How do you deal with those moments where you have that writer's block? Like, how do you deal with that? Is it terms of just like I think sometimes with me, I just try and write, no matter how bad I think it might be, I just try and get over that. I think I can always come back and change this. So Let's just write it, even if it sounds rubbish.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I find a very common thing is that I write um I, I, I write sort of music professionally over the years a little bit and uh, I'm enjoying I write music for my um uh, for my podcast and uh, it, I like and I'd spend an unnecessary time on one like thirty second clip to go under something uh, but it's ridiculous amount of time on it but I find that very because uh, like a jigsaw puzzle you keep going back to um so you keep going back to the logic and yeah i just feel that i nearly hear a stick and you think, and you hear something else that should be there and um yeah uh so i love that that's a kind of centering calming thing yeah how how's your podcast going
0: yeah it's been going good it's been the you know the amazing guests that we've had on like you know mm. we've had like gary Lineker on, uh Hadi, that, Zard, yeah. and uh Mm. Judge Rinder, another one that was, it was was uh, entertaining, yeah. and it's just nice having those conversations and just to see how everyone's been doing this last year, and just realising that everyone's mm. been coping differently, yeah. you know. Yeah, mm. it's been yeah, it's been been really interesting. I mean, with your book, the the new book, Fire Away, yes, one of the family. I mean, how is it?
1: Are you co- are you recording? Yes, I'm
0: recording. It's all going. Yes, all going. Yes. Um, yeah, one of the f-
1: was that part of it? What we just did? Yeah,
0: well, bits of it. We could use bits of it. Just you know. Mm -hmm. pick it up wherever um Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean with one of the family was that written pre-lockdown or during lockdown or um, when did you start writing that
1: i think i started writing it before lockdown lawrence i did i say i think i did like i can't remember but i kind of do remember because lockdown has been such a big splurge in people's lives it's kind of pre-lockdown is like you know what, you know, it's like before the birth of Christ or something like that. It's like, you know, when was, what? That was going, what? Yeah. Or before K2, you know, um, 75 um, million years ago when the dinosaurs were wiped out. Is it like before that and after that? It's one of those kind of. Um, I think, it, yeah, I think I started about six months before. Took a long time um, with all the other stuff going on a lot of thinking, a lot of considerations. And I think actually it might have been more than six months, but it evolved because initially I thought, oh, all right, right. But I was fascinated with dogs and doing stuff about dogs. And I wanted to do stuff about my dog, Maxwell, and how he's really helped me. Then I thought, I can't really do a book about how a dog helped me without going into why he needed to help me and what I needed help for. So I went kind of from the superficial and gradually dived down. And then I got this brilliant editor. Uh, once we got a deal, um, gone, we we kind of got the shape of it. And I got this brilliant editor who just, we talked and talked and talked and she saw the narrative and she'd say, go away and write about that and go away and write about that. And I realized I had to write about all these unresolved things. Um, and once I decided to write about mental health and my diagnosis as bipolar and my breakdown, everything else just tumbled in after that. Cause I kind of looked to my adoption and my, my birth mother and my amazing family and reconciling stuff and trying to make sense of stuff. And so everything else kind of followed from that. And, you know, Jillian said, well, you write about that. And then you should, you should think about that. And so she kind of guided me through it. And I, I'd write a chapter and she'd say, Yeah, yeah. After the first couple of chapters, she said, Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's the kind of feel and intensity and honesty you need. And so she kept me on track. And it's like sending your essay into a teacher you really like. And then when you get like top marks for a, for a chapter beyond, oh, you know, maybe start the chapter with that bit. And then with the paragraph I'm go away and think of that. And it's a, it's a fantastic process. And you want to, you kind of want to please them. <laughs> and that's the other thing. So you think, oh, you know, when it comes back and there's no red pen, that's the best feeling. Or when it comes back and she says, oh, that insight you had there on that phrase there, I just love that. And I love that. And you feel really good. But it's part of the whole kind of psychological process. And, and so, yeah, I didn't want to... When I, spoke, when I was considering speaking about my uh, breakdown and bipolar, I thought about it for some time, and I didn't really want to because I was wary of becoming kind of Mr. Bipolar. I've got Type 2. It's not the most severe manifestation of it, but I didn't want to become Mr. Mr. Go-To Type 2 because there's... Uh, and so it was a big decision to make, but then I thought it, everything, the whole picture fits in. And it's not the defining part of the book. Um, but um, it's it's in there, and I I think, um, this, I mean, it's sold really well, and but more than that, people have responded amazingly, saying, "Well, that's you know, that's just like my life—being adopted, or having that mental health issue, or being helped by my dog, or that appreciation of my family, that sense sense of not belonging, that sense of belonging, that sense of identity missing," and I just if one person and it's been a few but if one person says that's really really relatable that's my life that is that's amazing feeling amazing feeling you must get that as well
0: oh yeah absolutely when you get letters back from kids Mm -hmm. and stuff you know that's always amazing yeah they always say my favorite part is or you know and they it's quite simple stuff but you know it's lovely just to have that to know that you know what you're writing is got someone that's into it, you know, just you know, from your from your brain, this this story has come out and you've just uttered this stuff onto paper. I mean yours is a real story, but yeah, I mean it's it is a really nice have that having that feedback. I mean, yeah, did you find it quite therapeutic doing it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I did. Just thinking about you know adoption and I mean part of the narrative was why I sort of uh, froze out my birth mother when I met her and why that relationship didn't really work and thinking it was my fault all the time and why I didn't bond with her and then realising the reasons for the things she'd done um, and why she'd done them, why she had to have us because she had another baby within 18 months of me, 18 months before me in Edinburgh. She came from Dublin. Why she was such a, a closed book and just understanding that and there were there were clues which i explored and which opened my eyes so that's part of it
0: yeah 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 absolutely i mean when i mean when you met your birth mother do you think that was something that was inevitable that you really had to do you really needed to to find her
1: yeah the reason i remember the turning point and i write about this in the book when i was at university. I mean, it's a long story and it ebbs and flows your kind of sense of identity and what the birth family means to you, or the birth. So was the birth mother. I think you would psychologically you always return to the womb. And I so I mean, through my life, I always had this mystery, this half mystery, but this narrative that my mum had given me about this brave, generous. Um, professional woman who couldn't look after me. And you kind of idealize it in your own mind. And then, of course, you rail against it when you're a teenager. Then you rail against your parents as well. So on the one hand, you're saying, ah, she gave me, she rejected me. On the other hand, you're saying, I'm not even your real child anyway. And you do those appalling things that 16-year-olds do and 16-year-olds say to your parents. Then you're in denial. Then you think, maybe one day I will. But it's just so big. It's a very big thing. It's a massive thing to think about meeting the person who gave birth to you. And I do think it's something that uh, certainly I, as a 16 year old could really handle. Went to university, started to think about it a little bit more, I suppose being away from home in a more independent situation. And the real spark for it, I remember <laughs> was I'd had 80 magic mushrooms and a tab of acid. And I was in at a kind of party, it was a kind of party. It wasn't sort of the, you know, there weren't cocktails and nibbles. And (laughs) I was was like completely tripped out at uni. And there's a John Lennon, Strawberry Fields, forever. It's getting hard to be someone, but it all works out, which is how I felt in life anyway. And how he felt in life on that record was expressed. And that strange thing you have when you're, you know, on hallucinogenic drugs which is, it it seemed to be the most profound thing I'd ever heard in my life. And even the light of day, it's pretty bloody good. And I remember that was a particular moment that I thought, yes, I will do this one day. I will find her one day. Then I put it away for a few years. Then when I was in a really unhappy relationship, I thought that might be the the cure-all. That might be the what's the word I'm looking for? This isn't the word I'm looking for, but it's the word that will do. That might be the answer. Um, oh, God, what is the word I'm looking for? You know where you, you can't find a word? And as a writer, you must know this. That, and it's the most frustrating thing. And you're thinking uh, about the rest. Of, it's It's on the tip of my tongue. Yeah.
0: Do uh, and- you ever get that? Oh, yeah.
1: What do you do? How do you solve that? I just that? try,
0: like, I know, like, the simple word for it. So I'm like, or oh, a simpler word for it that I'm trying to say. Answer. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm Googling it. So I'm like, other words, <laughs> other words than answer. Like, you know, different <laughs> definitions. solutions. Yeah. Something like that. Cure uh, yeah, um, uh,
1: You know, it's not there. It's not. I'm going to spend the rest of our conversation thinking, what's wow, that bloody word? Is it an age thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never mind. So that was it. And, and when, so when I was 29, I went over to Dublin, traced her pretty easy, private detective. I'd done a talk show about private detectives. And because I used to do this debate show on a Friday night on Central Television called Central Weekend Live. And it was three debates, current affairs debates, issues, arguments just trying to get people to have a bloody good row on the telly. And um, it was an audience debate show. And We were doing one on private detectives. So I did it and there there was this big private detective, ex-cop, you know, kind of 70s, you know, life on Mars. Was that the name of that 70s show? Oh, God, I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, you know, Sweeney. And I said, bye. I went up to him afterwards. I I mean, if I wanted to trace my birth mother, how long would it take? He said, You got a name? Uh, did I have a name? Uh, yeah, I did, because my mum had furnished me with all the details. My adoptive mum, my real mum. And so I said, hey, Will it be possible to trace me? Yeah. And he said, Yeah, not a problem. I said, Not a problem. He had a crab claw in his mouth and he was glugging a glass of red wine because it was in the green room at Central Television in Broad Street in Birmingham and I said well how long would it take well "Well, a week max not a problem and this was back in 1989 I remember he said we're all numbers on computers so I can find her quite easily what a visionary (laughs) so I did and I Got in touch and eventually went over to the, to meet her.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you, I mean, when you met her, it was, I mean, I guess after you met her, how did you, was it, I suppose, closure in a way?
1: No, it was, opened you, closure. This is when we need our anti- I know we should, I should have brought like, uh, an yes, something
0: with me. Because there's
1: a clo- America where's a closure um, it's closure is an American term, isn't it? So th- if there's no equivalent, is there? And there's no absolute equivalent opposite. I'm I'm I am i am i am bowing to your knowledge as a brilliant writer. <laughs> well, closure. Anti-closure, anti-closure. Disclosure. The opposite of closure. The opposite of closure, <laughs> Cl- opposite of closure <laughs> which is whoop, that's the end of it. We've sorted that, we've put that in a box, that's great, end of, move on. No, it was kind of stirring up all sorts of stuff. My ongoing relationship with her was very, very difficult because she spoke in a kind of white noise of nothingness and trivia. And you wanted analysis, you wanted answers. You wanted to ask why, when, where, and what. And she was just all about, oh, and I got the number 48 bus and I saw my friend Heather, and she came round, and then we did that. And I like, and Of course, she was bipolar as well, which I discovered later on, but she'd ring at you know, 11 o'clock at night or whatever, or always at the wrong time, wanting a long, long conversation. So I ducked out, and then she sent letters. Long, long indecipherable hieroglyphical letters and uh, some of them I did that I never opened and when I was um, talking to Jillian about stuff I mentioned that I said I've well, got these letters that I've never opened and she thought she said what you've never opened these letters I said no and it was really difficult and she had a you know when I next spoke to her she said I think it would be really interesting to explore that given everything you've told me and everything you've been able to express that here we are 89, 99, 109, 99 30 years on would you be willing to open them and read them and write about that because that could be closure and that could be Something that would be very useful for you and for others to try and understand, and to understand what she went through. So I did, and I pulled myself a I must have drank half a bottle of whiskey. And Maxwell was by my side, my dog, and I opened them and read them all one night. It was an extraordinary night, um, and there were things in there that I led me to understand her more between the lines you know and one of the first things and when I was reading the letters that night one of the first things that she ever said to me there was two things of of note which I lingered on one of them was that one of the first things she said to me was and she was in a chaotic state she was two hours late because she was so nervous about it she'd had to take a sleeping pool and one of the things she said to me was um, the first thing just about Apart from oh it was late, oh it was late, it was late, oh my god, was do you like dogs? And I thought you know, at the time I didn't really process it properly. And I thought about later on, and now of course I see it. It's a brilliant question. It's like a a litmus test of empathy because dogs, all animals, we see beyond ourselves. We understand the the bigger picture of life. And through dogs that stand at the gates of the door into the wild, they're kind of halfway there, but they're not, but they're domesticated, but they're more into the wild. They're closer to that than we are. And they kind of help us see into the forest. And they help us see into the forest in that kind of metaphorical way but also they help us to see into the forest of ourselves, the forest where we came from and the forest that we're in right now. And they help us in that sense. They guide us through that forest. They take us to that forest and they guide us through that forest. So, and I don't entirely, this is very bigoted, but I don't entirely trust people who quote, don't like animals. I think there's something um, myopic. God, I'm amazed I remember that one. <laughs> I was thinking shots. Here. Myopia. Um, about just you know emotionally stunted, solipsistic, self-centered, self-serving. And the other thing was. She mentioned this poem out of nowhere, and it was all what I said to you earlier. on. I said, I'll oh, we'll get number 48 bus, and we did that. And I like Samuel's, and I like doing that. My first one, we got the bus, then like something like sheltered housing is nice. No, it's nice now. And, so, and then she said, Do you like poetry? And I said, Yeah. And she said, I like Yeats. And there's a poem, my favorite poem is. The wild swans at Cool, and I sort of put it away in my mind. I thought it was just part of the meandering mind of my birth mother stuff came to into her head and she said it stuff came into her head and she said it. And when I was sitting on the sofa, having that glass of whiskey and reading her letters, um, I thought well, the wild swans are cool. And I read it, I Googled it and read it. And um, it's, it's a beautiful poem, but I read what was behind it. And it's about 59 swans, 59. And swans, of course, um, are in pairs. And one of the swans was missing. One of the swans was flown. One of the swans was gone. That was an amazing moment when that kind of clicked
0: in. Yeah, yeah, that must been, that must be an amazing feeling reading reading that back. I mean, mm. how like obviously we've got to go back to the love of dogs, I suppose. Like you, even as a child, you had candy, right? Like you had mm. the candy dog, and I mean, you so you were like a, a dog lover from you know more or less your whole life, right? Like because it sounds like candy was a huge part of your childhood.
1: Before that, even yeah. because Stella, that's the other thing Stella told me when she said, Do you like dogs? And later she returned to the theme amidst all the, the white noise of nothingness and also my pain. Because I, 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 the minute I met her, I thought, Should I be here? Should I not be with my mom and dad? Am I being incredibly disloyal doing this? Then I felt disloyal to her. Then I felt disloyal to my mom and dad. Then I felt disloyal. And you're in this kind of maelstrom. It's a lifelong maelstrom. And And she said there was a little dog called Toby when she was in the boarding house. This was the other thing she said that um, there's a little dog called Toby, which in the boarding house, when she came over to Edinburgh and we were together for nine days and Toby took to guarding me when I was in the, in the bed and even jumping up on the bed and looking after me. And when I had my meltdown and I managed to get a psychiatrist to help me out and to help me through and to diagnose me, I, um, I uh I said to him, but yeah, well, this this dog Toby earlier on. It, well, he's, would that mean it? He said, Oh yeah, absolutely. In print, from the earliest stage. So when I got at three months old out of nine nine days I left Stella, then three months old out of the nursery place where babies were looked after, lying there in rows and rows and rows of cots. Um and when i got home and then when candy arrived as a puppy i think for my sister because we didn't want her nose to be out of joint um i think that was kind of oh yeah a dog in my little unconscious mind or subconscious mind hey i i know that it's a dog and then we, me and him were inseparable we ate um didn't eat the same things but we sniffed everything mm-hmm. Everyone came in the house. We sniffed.
0: Them. Yeah, I love that quote in your book where you talk about um, visitors coming round, and you had to sort of both greet them as you know on all fours,
1: <laughs> sniffing their parts Sometimes, yes. wasn't great. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I, I, you know, we were we were inseparable, and that was a the most um, uh, a most profound relationship of my childhood.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think with dogs like. I can't think of like if someone said you can create something. I don't think I could create anything better than a dog. I don't. I don't think you can top a dog. How you know? I, I I couldn't create anything better. That's just completely loyal. You know, completely you know, could you top a dog like, yeah, well, maybe you can make the dog talk. Wouldn't that be great? But then would you want your dog to talk? You know, that's the third glass of wine you're having, Lawrence. And maybe you shouldn't put that away. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you know, I don't, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't think you can top a dog.
1: <laughs> no, they're amazing. And my point is that, you know, wolves, I mean, I think they're, they share a common ancestor with the Eurasian the Eurasian wolf. And that's amazing. Just in, you know, I don't know how long it is. This is maybe 40,000, 50,000, 60,000 years. Incredible.
0: Mm. Mm. And, so, and So what role has Maxwell had for you? Like, this, this I guess, not only just with lockdown this last year, this COVID, but your own personal sort of mental health battles as well.
1: Mm. Well, when I broke down, everything got on top of me. I wanted to save every single animal in the world. And I've been kind of on the front line, having meetings, going to parliament, demonstrations, speaking at demonstrations. I'd sit for hours and hours and hours on end, watching stuff on, on YouTube and watching other stuff, just in despair, just spiralling into the pits of despair. It became an obsession and a mania, a, a, a noble thing, but it just took me over. And then eventually it knocked me over And I was walking down Euston Road after working at Broadcasting House, and I was on my way to Manchester. And I got to the bit of grass outside, which is now the taxi rank. And I just—I was all the way down from Broadcasting House. I was like, I, I was felt kind of disorientated and drunk on sadness. And then I collapsed on the ground and started weeping, you know, just uncontrollably. Um, I mean, I've always, you know, had the ups and downs, the ups and downs, but that was, a, a, you know, a point. And I just thought, what's the, what is the point? What is the point? So I, my, I picked up my phone, which had fallen out, and I rang Tina, and then she said, she said, come home. She said, come home to, um, come home to me, come home to the girls, and come home to Maxwell and we'll sort this out. So I thought, yes, because the thing about coming home to Maxwell was, I didn't have to explain, like you don't have to explain about that third glass of wine. I didn't have to articulate and, and kind of find words and put them together. So, cause the, the human instinct is to say, what can I do for you? How are you feeling? What can I get you? Are you okay? What do you want to do? And you don't want to answer any of that stuff. You're beyond language because you're beyond despair. So you're you're beyond that sort of communication. You just don't want to, it's too, can't do it. But with him, you don't have to do it. He just knows. And I lay on the bed and I I had that little tinkle of his collar. And he came up and he jumped on the bed and he put his head on my chest. and his leg just below it. And I felt this surge of warmth and of love. And I know, I know that he knew. It was incredible. And um, it's, it's actually, it's not Disney, actually, it's Darwin because they have to know they can detect one molecule in a swimming pool their 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 olfactory senses are incredible and those senses involve smelling hormones and pheromones and knowing how every other pack men, pack member is because that's a necessity for the good and fully functioning of the pack so he loves me we know that's a scientific fact because that's we, we get the same endorphin rush and the same chemicals when we connect, as dogs do, with each other. Um, but he knew how, how I was feeling, and he wanted to help me.
0: Yeah.
1: And he did help yeah.
0: me. And how old is Maxwell now? Is he?
1: Nearly 13.
0: Nearly 13, wow. So, yeah, he's, mm. he's, doing, he's had him in your life for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, and I'm I i um, I'm just doing on my podcast, one of the podcasts. This is probably out before it goes out. I'm doing something on old dogs. And um I did um where was that? I did uh i don't know not I, I, I took a when Santa, 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 I probably won't find it. Get no. I, t- I took a recording of him snoring. Like an old old dog. And it is a it's a beautiful thing. They have kind of serenity and wisdom and comfort in their own skin, old dogs. And he's great. He doesn't want to really he, occasionally when we're walking, he forgets he's an old dog and he will go, he'll chase a ball a couple of times that has been thrown from another from another dog. And then he thinks, Oh, what the hell? What did I do that for? And he sleeps the rest of the day. Uh, but he just he just wants to sniff everything. And to stop him. I've been reading about this a lot. The sniff walk is very important just to pull him away from a particular sniff where he might have been annoyingly for three or four minutes and then moving a yard further on. And then you've just got to go with it because it is like dragging a scholar away from the British Museum. All that information that's going in is incredible. And you said earlier on, Lawrence, what what is it about dogs? What would it be like if dogs could speak? Well, you can reverse that. And I guess you could say, what if, would it be like if we had that olfactory sense and could smell what they smell? And the thing is, they don't have the massive frontal lobe to process it in the same way that well, they, they can process it to, to, um, to deal with it. They can deal with it the way they are because evolution is a trade off. But to have heart, to have our level of self awareness, and to not have had that experience and to all of a sudden be able to smell like a dog, we'd go mad, wouldn't we? Mm. We'd be like, oh, 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 what? oh, what? What's that? What's that? Oh, oh, you know, it would be like craziness, wouldn't it? Incredible. And, um, you know, I don't think we'd handle it. And So he said, stop, stop me being a dog. Don't want to be a dog anymore. I can't. Have, oh, goodness me, that's better. I can't smell all that stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's sniff, sniff, sniffing and smell sense is incredible. Mm. Just they, they, could, they could smell things from just you know, walking Robin, and you know, you could be you could see nothing, and suddenly he could, could sense something that I've not not going to clock yet for another minute or two and it's like a, a pheasant or something that's just died but he's sussed that out yeah. way before way beforehand yeah. it's incredible the amount what they can they can say.
1: it is i mean medical detection dogs predicting um you know diabetic attacks is that the right word attack diabetic in, um incidences and um cancer yeah
0: yeah i've heard about that some dogs um, do it's yeah, incredible it's incredible yeah yeah i do um as well you you see these um it's amazing what the guide dogs do even some of the even schools i've been into they've had like reading dogs and stuff for kids that aren't confident readers or they feel like they're you know more literate in their class and um and they haven't got the confidence to speak loudly or read out in class or with their you know with their kids in their class or with teachers and stuff so there's a corner where some schools have a reading dog and obviously the dog's just gonna He's not going to judge the kid that's trying to read and spell out words and stuff. He's just there to listen. And he's just, you know, they, the dog's just there, chilled. The, the, and this kid that's really struggling with his reading has got the confidence to try and read these stories and books of the dog. I mean, that's a really beautiful thing. The schools, some of the schools I've been to do.
1: Yeah, it's lovely. It makes complete sense. Yeah. There's
0: no judgment, yeah. is there? No judgment.
1: No judgment. And also just that touch, that warmth. Mm that touch of another being.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, in, in your book, I, I really enjoyed, you know, you talking about your relationship with your granddad as well. It sounds like you were really close with him because he just, you know, like I said, you're adopted and, and everything, but like he just accepted you as part of the family, right?
1: Well, everyone accepted me as part of the family, but you always, I, mean, I was an amaz- amazing mum and dad. And, you know, I was, you know, special and, you know, loved as in- incredibly, uh, in loved to say embraced it's like I was they did me a favor you know I mean, it's just like they were incredible incredible parents I mean, just you know magical but I always knew that they knew and everyone I knew that they knew it was in my mind that they everyone knew and their friends knew and stuff like that and every time I thought about the fact that they knew I felt kind of inauthentic and I write about the 10th birthday party that the cake came in and everyone's saying happy birthday and I burst into tears because I thought I, I don't deserve this i'm i'm not worth it because i'm i was meant to be someone else um but grandpa was uh sting of a shit because all he wanted to do he probably had forgotten you know he was you know something incredibly um and he's really entertaining he used to do funny things with his false teeth to make funny and did funny voices and gurning and stuff like that and uh he was a, a gambler. He had been, I think, he'd been a problem gambler and had lost a lot of money when they, for the family back. And I was, he was doing a, a bet every day, and he was um, just incredibly self-centered, and I just love that about him because just <laughs> all he wanted to do was make, you know, was make me laugh. You know, it sounds it sounds strange, but I mean, he was he'd had a really interesting life and one of the things that i will never forget and what i mean is that it was all he didn't he didn't he would never have analyzed the fact that i was adopted as far as he was concerned i was just a child in the family one of the family and he 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 wouldn't have even thought about it and i didn't think about him thinking about it that's the thing i didn't consider that he ever considered it and i i really thought that it was like we were at ground zero. It was it was just that, and he was. I used to like um, you know being with him, and he'd tell stories. And he was on the Somme. He fought on the Somme with the Lancashire Artillery, I think. And I mean, I don't I don't talk about this in the book, but um, I saw an advert in the Radio Times when I was about. It was 1976. It must have been 76 because it was about the. 60th anniversary of the psalm, and I saw this thing in the Radio Times, saying, "Does anyone have any any memories of the psalm? Who was on the psalm?" Because of that, you know, people were, you know, still relatively young, Um, and he was like 80 or something. And I got him to write in, so he he wrote a long letter, a, a description of what it was like, and he got a letter back with a cheque for, I don't know, five shillings or something. No, I mean, shillings then, I think we'd had it. Five pounds or something like that. A couple of groats and a couple of guineas. And they were going to use one of his quotes. Quotes for groats. And then we watched the documentary, and he had his chair right up. He was very elderly by that stage. He must have been maybe 88. And he had his chair right up at the television. And then this, this intriguing man, um who was a law unto himself and he was sitting just close to the television and then his quote came up about it was something like there'd been all that carnage the day before and we'd been in hell and then the next morning as the sun came up the birds were singing and it was the most beautiful morning and it didn't seem It just seems so strange, the contrast. He said it much better than me, but that was what he was talking about, just to paraphrase it. And it was just like, he was like, right, you know, three yards, maybe two yards from the television in his chair, just crying, just looking at it, crying. Yeah, I can remember it. Yeah. Yeah. He also spoke about the fact that he was in a guard he was in a bivouac one night by a French <laughs> monastery and he heard it's grandpa's stories and he heard this um, and it was about five o'clock in the morning, six o'clock French time or five o'clock UK time, the, the army always kept by UK time wherever they were on the continent. And he had this marching. And he looked out, looked out the bivouac and saw um, three soldiers and a chap in the middle who was s- staggering like that as they were a little soldier that they were, he was marching with them. And he'd seen that little soldier before, the day before. And he'd gone past the guardhouse and that little soldier had said, Yeah, I've got a fag, mate have you got a fag mate? And he went, yeah, yeah. And, and grandpa gave me his packet. Um, and he said to the sergeant, what's up? And the sergeant said, oh, he's for it tomorrow. He was found cowering three or four miles back in a ditch um, away from the front line. And then grandpa saw him being marched. And then he w- went round the side of the cemetery and then And um, so he, he spoke about that a lot. And I found out the guy's name, Private Chase. And I phoned the expert of experts. I got in touch with the expert of, of experts on um, First World War executions. And is that noise all right? It's noise in the background. Uh, um, First World War Executions, who said that um, there was two accounts of that. There was grandpa's accounts, and there was an account from a schoolboy who had been on the other side of the, um, the monastery wall. And basically... Um, uh, that's all right, it's gone. The other side of the monastery wall, and he said it was a really valuable account. And I just thought, oh, grandpa would be so pleased. That this is a really valuable account of this... And he was really excited that World War I wish I've got his book up there. Sorry. He was really excited, this expert on First World War execution. So, you know, it's like, oh, this is fantastic. This is amazing. Because there's another account. Oh, this is this fills in that this is Private Chase, that particular. That great. And I just thought Grandpa would be so proud. That's amazing. Um, and uh, terrible. I tried to trace Chase. <laughs> Uh, but apparently, his um, he was the last. His parents had been in domestic service, but we did find a letter eventually from him, um, to his mum, which is utterly heartbreaking. I didn't do anything wrong, mum. I swear, I didn't do anything wrong. I was just scared, I was you know, scared of the guns. And I, I promise, I, I just oh, that was terrible. I know, I know. 18, 17, 18. It's disgraceful, isn't it? Absolutely disgraceful. Yeah. It's another
0: another world, I guess then. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 So that
1: was that was a bit a, a bit of grandpa.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well my granddad, he he never knew he was adopted. He never knew his um parents. He was just left on the doorstep at, you know, when he was a, a child. But he uh he never really spoke about it to me. He obviously spoke about it to his mum and stuff, but um yeah, he was he was happy as you know, he's he was uh, he didn't have like adopted parents. He was just an orphanage and <clears throat> and a family kind of. Um, was with him as a bit older, but then he went into uh, the army. So yeah, he didn't really have a, a family background, but he yeah, he was um, you know he just loved life really and just yeah enjoyed and just made it, that's you know us with his, his immediate family and yeah it's um it's interesting learning people's stories.
1: He was a foundling. He was left on the doorstep yeah,
0: yeah. left on the doorstep mm-hmm. he doesn't talk about it too much to me he was um i see well, he talks to my mum more about it you know but uh, um he was just left on the left on the doorstep um of an orphanage
1: is he left to be found you don't know i
0: I don't know all the, the...
1: because with foundlings if they're left to be found, that makes a of a difference wrapped up warm left you know ob- in an obvious place that people would find them. Because we do this program, Born Without Trace, which is part of the long-lost family programs that I do, which is about foundlings. And, of course, now, if your grandfather is gone, yeah, if you're around now, oh, what we could do, and what, which is what we do do, which is transform people's lives, because everyone is fan, fantastically obsessed with family histories So everyone's putting their DNA onto these websites. Millions of people have put their DNA onto these websites. And so if we were to take your grandpa's DNA, in fact, you know, we could take, you know, your parents' DNA, Um, is in maternal or paternal?
0: It's my mum, yeah, so it's my it's mum. My yeah,
1: you take your mum's DNA, put it, on, put it on their website, and the brilliant team will work on it. Um, it could come back with a third cousin. Oh,
0: great, yeah. Well, I'll have to let her know that
1: should be yeah, she a third cousin is quite a long way away, but a third cousin, if you think about where it happened, then you do the detective work, you can very often narrow it down to a few potentials and cousins and a few roots and stuff like that. So if we were around, that's how we do it for people. And if you get a breakthrough and it's amazing how far you can get with a bit of DNA, you can you can map a picture and then use geographical clues and other clues. It's, a, it's just phenomenal. And so your grandpa's generation, no chance, no chance of ever knowing anything, ever in a blank sheet of paper. But now there is hope. And some of the stories, some of the people's lives that we've been able to transform, it's just been absolutely fantastic. I put my DNA in as part of the, just for the hell of it, they put my DNA in. And I got my birth sister, who was my birth mother Stella's other child, um, so we had different fathers. I got this phone call from him one day saying, there's a, there's a, there's a close match. There's a close match. Look at this close match. We find another close match on oh, the DNA. I put my DNA. I said, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, oh, how disappointing. I said, they put mine in. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, it's either an uncle or a sibling.
0: Uh, you say you've been um, been able to film some long lost family this year. I mean, how's I mean, how long has that been going on since two thousand and nine? Was it? Yeah. yeah, around that time. Yeah, I was gonna. I think. Yeah, you, yeah. I think you know what. I think that's fresh in my head because you mentioned it in your order, audible. I feel like that's uh, where it's yeah, come yeah. from. Um, but yeah, it was. Do you do your audibles? Yeah, well, some of them, a couple of my books. Have. I don't, I don't do them, but. Um... No, mm. it was it was nice that you do them though because it was even mm. a lot more personal isn't it yeah especially mm. with a book like that i think
1: i've not heard it it's all right yeah
0: oh yeah it's great yeah it was yeah, I yeah. just yeah when i played it and it's you know, i realized it was you talking i was just like, oh um yeah that's uh that's uh, quite nice to to know it's you
1: yeah but it, it's uh it was kind of tricky to do it took a long time can you imagine reading a book but some of the stuff Going over it again and reading it out loud—that's the thing. When you read stuff out loud, when you've done a book which has got lots of sad things in it, unhappy things in it, and you know, laughs too, but uh, I, part of you sort of go, "Oh, <laughs> that's quite good," and the other part that's yeah, awful—that you think, "Oh yeah," um, and the other part of you is like, you know, on the brink because you're going through it all again. Um, but yeah, yeah, who does your audibles then?
0: You get have a, uh, well. We have the publisher, have people, actor. yeah, usually an actor voice, yeah. yeah. We have a couple of people. The publishers sort of have it in-house people they're linked to and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But no, I, if I was, I think if I was ever going to write like a personal book, I'd give it a go. Um Now I'm a bit more confident with the podcasting. Is bit, mm. <laughs> yeah, it's a different world writing and talking. Think people can hear what I'm saying. I don't have, to, you know, I can't edit to this. <laughs> <laughs> but mm-hmm. I, guess be, I guess you can in some ways, but anyway, I guess with, with long lost family, I mean, does it as is it always? You may like to say, you've done it for over ten years now. Is it is it still really really special each case? Like it's still overwhelming for you.
1: Overwhelming. It, uh, I can't believe it because there's uh, the privilege of the privilege. I'm so proud of it, but the privilege of what the team do, the privilege of actually being with somebody and sharing the most emotionally intimate hour, perhaps, of their life so far, when you're telling them all that stuff. Davina, when she goes to the relative to say, we found your brother, we found your son, we found your father, we found your sister, we found your mother. I mean, you're in this kind of bubble when you're doing it as well. (laughs) <laughs> when you're talking to someone, I know the cameras are there at a very respectful distance. Um, and the minute you start talking, you forget the cameras are there. And you're in a kind of magical bubble of sharing that emotional intimacy with each other. Because a lot of the stuff that people say is what I feel. And sometimes I will help them and say stuff when they say that's how I feel. Because there's a, there's a real commonality in in that sense of belonging or not or adoption and uh, then when you finish talking there's a, there's a point where you kind of go maybe an hour later and it may, might make seven eight minutes screen time there's a point where you think yeah and just move slightly in your chair and you go oh maybe should uh, have a break Go outside, get some air. And then everything, the whole atmosphere changes. And then you think, oh, there's two cameras there and the remote camera. And then Sally, the producer's there on the ground as well, looking at notes. And so It's amazing. And then I always think, oh, i do some work on the way home. But I can't. So I've got the laptop, the best intentions, and read up. I remember <laughs> coming back from one. And we had a big Labour, it was during the last election, and we had a big Labour person, I can't remember who it was, it might have been, it wasn't Corbyn, it might have been McDonald. and I had to read the Labour manifesto on the way back, I just couldn't, I couldn't get past the first line, this is not a political comment, I just couldn't get past the first line because I had all that other stuff in my head. And so you can't, I mean, I said, I would do this and I'd do that. I just, you know, you just, because it's, it's so overwhelming. You've been talking about somebody's life like that and you've changed somebody's life. I haven't, but it has changed somebody's life. It's incredible. And when they asked me one day, when you look back at all the things you've done, that is front and center because you just, I can't say job. It's not a job. And I can't say I'm a presenter of it because I don't present. We kind of, and I've said this to Davina before we've discussed this, we, we kind of exist within it. To put it crassly, we're like Mary Poppins. We fly in and then we fly out. And that's another interesting thing because um, yeah. you, you form a relationship with people. And so when we're on a reunion, for example, I might be with the brother, for sake of argument, she might be with the mother, uh, the son, the mother, the brother, the sister. And then we've got such a close relationship and I'm about to say goodbye to them. And they say, and Davina says this, same thing happens with her. And they say, you can be around. Can we have a drink afterwards? we see you afterwards. Uh, you be, will you be there when we're having a drink this evening after the reunion, you, just, you know, it's fine, you know, just, no, but yes, fine. You know, and then they go in, of course, then we forget about us because we are literally Mary Popp, Mary Popp! And we, we fly off into the distance. And that's it. Obviously, we keep in touch with people, but everything else is so big and overwhelming and important that uh, the mere presence of ourselves becomes an utter irrelevance. And that's kind of fantastic because it shows you know, what has happened.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess with the show now, you have you just finished some a series of it or are you currently doing it at the minute?
1: We, we're in the middle of a series 12, I think at the moment. Of course, there's a bit less hugging. we got a story uh, in a, I can't say actually, just in case, but a story in the most fantastic place on the other side of the world, a place that I've never been, and if it had been mentioned to me that you have to go there to do this, I would have thought, oh my God, I'm actually going to go there, I'm actually going to see that, and bear in mind, I've been to all over the world with Colombia and Ecuador and like places you'd never go like New Mexico, you know, and Kentucky. You never, you know, who, you know why would you go to these places? <laughs> you know, all over New Zealand and Australia. I know and a lot of people say, oh, flying, flying, flying. He says, yeah, yeah, we're, but we're a carbon neutral program. And, you know, in television terms, it doesn't happen very often. So like Canada, Canada. Um, you know, all over Europe, obviously, and uh, you know, inc- incredible places. Um, and this was a, this was a place. Oh my God, Montana! But I'm not going. It's a Zoom. Oh, no. see, that's the thing. Yeah, of course. Back in the day, <laughs> back in the day, <laughs> yeah, that would have been wow. But now, of course, it's it's over here,
0: yeah. <laughs> everything's done zo- everything's zoomed
1: can you imagine going there wouldn't it
0: mountains it's like the beginning of that
1: yes <laughs> the, yeah 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 <laughs> 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 that, that's it, with that mountain at the beginning of the films and you think I've always seen that mountain and thought oh that's a mountain
0: Absolutely, isn't it? <laughs> it is it is. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to the new series. Um, I guess is there any more things you you intend to to write about, or you know, working on any new books in the future? Um, I don't know. I don't know.
1: Uh, what about you? Are you writing? Yeah, I'm
0: writing a few things at the minute. A couple, a couple kids' books, and um, I'm writing about mm-hmm. mental health as well, actually, because you know, I, I've dealt with depression, and you know, I, I think it's. Important for for men to speak out about it, you know, because uh, you know, you, you, you still we still have this. It's, it's although it's better to talk about. I still think you know. I I'm 31 years old. I've, sadly, I've known five people that took their own lives. Some closer than others. One was a girl that been de- dealt with her dealt with her mental health for a long time. And she was quite outspoken about it. But all the four guys I know that took their own life just happened like that. No warning. No signs. Just what, they're gone? Like, where did that, what? And and I think the most helpful thing for me is when I was really having that really bad spell of depression was keeping it, I always say it's like the genie in Aladdin, right? Because you're kind of stuck in that lamp and you just just longing for someone to just let it out, you know? And once you're out and you can kind of talk and be free and just be open about it, I find that's a huge help, and I found that better than any any kind of medication. Whatever doctor, that's all great as well. But like just being able to talk about it to another guy, and just say like this is how I'm feeling at the minute, you know, and not not to be judged and stuff. And I think it's huge. So yeah, I'm, I'm working on something like that, and I, and a couple of children's books as well.
1: Because <clears throat> when I was saying earlier on, but uh, it's it's really difficult to put the words together and to articulate it. Uh, And it can be quite painful to do that. Um, However much you love the person, unless the person kind of completely understands, because like you understood what I said earlier on when I said that then, yeah. And how that connection, and it kind of tied in with what you were saying about kids and dogs, and dogs giving kids that confidence because they're not judging them to read and to do stuff because of the the presence of a this wonderful beautiful animal and that all ties in with helping people with mental health as well I think I, as I said earlier, on a connection to an animal is a connection to ourselves because we are but an animal at the end of the day and at the beginning of our time
0: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely well thank you for speaking out about it because I know it's not easy and there's some things you know that like you say you don't want to be Labeled that that guy with the mental health, you know, like like that, like uh, Stephen Fry's spoken about it as well. um But you know, it's 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 not it's a difficult thing. You know, people say what's bravery? I I, I you know what's bravery in being strong, and people kind of identify men as strong. as that kind of mu- toxic masculinity, isn't it? That men have to be. But I think a really bravery and strong for for men right now is to talk about how they're feeling, because I think you know it's about time we did that.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm, it is, it is, um, and get in touch with that um, that um, sensitivity. Mm, and none of that <laughs> 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 old comedian Tommy Cooper. Just, uh, just, uh, yeah. How come you know that? You're oh, my,
0: my my dad loves Tommy Cooper, right? Does yeah, he? yeah. And my dad's not the biggest laugh, but like. So, I remember specifically my dad watching Tommy Cooper and howling, and so obviously seeing my dad laugh, I'm like, "Who's this guy? <laughs> you know who who's yeah, making yeah. the great white father laugh?" you know and uh, yeah. so, yes, Tommy Cooper, for me was he's the comedian that I just think, wow, he's the guy that managed to get my dad to to laugh and And some of this stuff's so silly, isn't it? It's just like, it's like Tim Vine, yeah, Tim Vine
1: gags are the Tommy Cooper gags of our days. that kind of clever stuff about. Um you know Velcro, what a rip-off stuff like that. Just, What's that? What's that. You know, Tommy, that's Tim's, but you know, Tommy was his uh his precursor, his comic antecedent. <laughs> you know, it's brilliant. So I'm so silly and it's so funny, isn't it? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And just the, the magic as well in itself, it's just so awful. <laughs> it's just so bad, but Ooh. it's just brilliant. But then it, but then often I mean, documentaries about him where he could do real magic as well like he he was quite yeah. a serious magician as well um and did some, did some stuff but yeah just just uh you know never never be duplicated willie tommy cooper just if anyone else could pull that off <laughs> hmm. yeah but um nicky it's been an amazing talk with you today um can't wait to see more long lost family um see any of your writing any more writings and stuff i've got about an hour, hour and a half left of the audible book of, of you so i'm looking forward to hearing the end of that um but yeah thanks for joining me today and yeah please stay in touch
1: <laughs> lovely thank you so much cheers lawrence
0: yeah well nice guy it was uh, great talking to Nikki. um yeah, just one of those people that you could tell that he cares about people and cares about dogs. I was really, really passionate about um, the things that we he was talking about. And uh, yeah, I had a really great time talking to Nicky and can't wait to see, well, read more of his stuff. Um, see how, I, you know, I sort of see how him and Maxwell are doing on social media quite a lot on his Twitter pages. And um, yeah, it was really, really great uh, to, to, to talk to Nicky. And uh, yeah, can't wait to see more Long Lost Family as well. Um, but yeah, guys, thanks for tuning in. Um, more episodes coming your way soon. Um, again, if you can support us in any way, you can find out how to do that, um, in in the description box. Um, anything you can afford, you know, is really, um, really, (laughs) really helpful and, uh, it, it means a lot. And so yeah, guys, thanks. Be sure to check us out on social media at Shapes of Stories on Twitter, Instagram on Prestige Books, and you can find me on Facebook under Shapes of Stories as well. But thanks, guys. I'll see you again next time.